0: In the beginning. In the beginning. In the beginning. God created. God created. God created. The heavens and the earth. The heavens and the earth. The heavens and the earth. This explains every you having a good time this morning? I hope so because I'm back here and I'm having a good time. It's just great. You guys sound great. Uh, appreciate Tim leading and uh, we're just excited. And then Wyatt mentioned uh, me creeping around in a church van taking photos. And I, I got to tell you, I have not done that. As, as I'm, I'm not intelligent enough to actually pull that off. I, I've taken some pictures. I haven't even been able to post them. I got last night. Pam and I were driving back from Cincinnati, and it was getting dark, and we hadn't, we are in '53 coming north. We had cut over on 30, long story, but we were on 53 heading north. We saw a grace community sign. It's like 10 miles south of Tiffin or something. I don't know whose house. We were going to take a picture, but it was getting too dark. We knew it wasn't going to work, and I would have not even been able to post it. But anyway, whoever's got that house, if you live like on the east side of 53, and I I noticed as I went north of there, some uh, some address markers that were like 7,000-ish. I I don't know how far that is. You deserve uh, one of those prizes, so whoever you are, you need to go grab one. Just said, Kevin said, because I'm so awesome, because I live so far away. And uh, that's great. You were probably getting ready for church about the time we passed there last night uh, to make it if you came to the first service. I didn't mention it in the first service, so I figured it's gotta be second or third service, so you are awesome. We, we've got this new series that we're starting, and it's all about Genesis. First few chapters, Genesis 1, 2, and 3. And it's amazing because Genesis, it tells us so much about the human experience. It tells us about who we are, who God is. It explains what we experience in life. Those chapters explain like how life can be so, uh, f- so fulfilling, but yet so frustrating, so beautiful, but yet so tragic, so orderly, but yet so strangely disorderly sometimes, and, and all that is packed in to the first few chapters of Genesis. It teaches us where we came from, who we are, and. and it teaches about our, our relationship with God and, and what broke that and, and even gives us a hint to, uh, about what's in the future that God, what radical thing God will do to, to fix that. And, and we want to really dial in on that. I know some people will say, wow, Genesis. Genesis, that's the first book in the Old Testament. I mean, that's, that was written about 3,500 years ago. And just about that uh, yeah, I don't even know if I would, but anyway, yeah, so 3,500 some people will say, "Well, we can't possibly know what was written. 3,500 years ago. Whatever we have now can't possibly be accurate. You know, people used to say that until in the 1940s, some shepherd boy in Israel was chucking rocks into caves that he saw on the cliff sides around him. He heard a funny noise. He went up to investigate. That led to the discovery of the Dead Sea Scrolls in jars of clay in several caves that had been hidden there from the time of the Roman conquest in the first century and in there was a bunch of documents in scrolls that were crumbling. They pieced all those together and they compared it to the Bible that we have today and it's 100% accurate. It's the same thing. So we'll hold it. That's not 3,500 years ago. No, those were first century documents. We're just illustrating that were preserved for 2,000 years and at the time of Jesus... Moses had written 1,500 years before him. So I'm saying in a larger amount of time, we can prove that the transmission of Scripture has not changed at all. Isn't that amazing? That was just a side note. I wasn't even supposed to say that. But basically, what I'm trying to, to get to here is people say, well, how can a document written that old... Have, have any meaning or implication or, or any authority or, or any helpfulness for my complex modern life today. Well, we, we can take it from the authority of Jesus that it does because when Jesus was on earth and Genesis was already an ancient document, part of his Bible, which is our Old Testament, same exact Bible, some of the books are in slightly different order, but same book, same everything. And, he's in, and then he was asked an ethical question that impacted a lot of people of his day, and uh, several times, one time he's asked a question, he goes back and pulls out two verses from the first three chapters of Genesis. He quotes those verses as the definitive answer to the question, and he quotes them assuming that God Almighty is the ultimate author of those verses and it's just that plain and that simple. Now, before we dive in, because the greatest thing about Genesis is that it really introduces us, all a bunch of stuff about us, which is cool, but it introduces us to God. And that's really what I want to look at through this series, kind of the implications of Genesis for us knowing God and where that leaves us. But There's this issue that I've been wrestling with all week, and the issue is before I even start reading Genesis 1, I plan to read that chapter shortly, I feel like in today's climate, before I even read that, so many people, and and we know that we always at Grace have have skeptical friends with us, and we totally get that, or people that might not even describe themselves as being skeptical on the Bible or God, but, but just are unsure. We've all, and those people and all of us have been impacted by the supposed gap between faith and science. And so I I don't, I feel compelled that I have to address some of that first before we could even hear the words of Genesis like we should hear them. Does that even make sense? So the way that I decided to do this is that I would just break Genesis up into two sections, one for the head and one for the heart where I really want to land. Does that make sense? Genesis 1, and and we're just covering the first chapter, so it's Genesis 1 for the head so you can even hear Genesis 1 for the heart. Are you with me? Weak. Did you you treat treat Wyatt better than that? I mean, did you hear me? Yes. Better. All right. All right. Not great. Better. All right. Genesis one for the head, and it's just this: Do not buy into the claim that uh, there's a conflict between science and faith. Truth about God. has been suppressed by men, people. Uh, Romans chapter 1 and the New Testament tells us that this is the way it is and to expect it. So, So we're not complaining about that. We're just saying that's the way it is. But that's what I want to explain to you. Truth about God is suppressed today and through naturalistic philosophy. But according to the Bible there is clear external evidence for God. External evidence means there's clear evidence for God outside the Bible. And that is the orderly creation that we see all around us. Now scripture puts that into two categories of revelation, that there's general revelation, and that's just what any human being could see, that general revelation should cause you to think there must be an intelligent designer and maybe I should get to know him. Specific revelation or special revelation is from the Bible or from Jesus Christ. It comes in two forms, the Bible and Jesus himself. So this general revelation is God revealing himself in a general, it's not enough for you to know how to come to God, or how to have a relationship. It's just enough to know that there is a God and maybe you should be thinking and maybe you should be searching for that God. Now, science is a great tool for uncovering the orderly facts of the. The fact that God created order out of chaos, that we're told in Genesis 1, is the entire foundation of the scientific method. A few hundred years ago, several hundred years ago, the whole discipline of science started with people who believed in God and saw that God made an orderly Creation. He made order out of chaos, and they realized we can go study and find out exactly what God's laws are and exactly how he put things into place, how things are ordered in the world around us. So science came out of wanting to know more about the world that God created, and the fact that we can even study it is because he made it orderly, repeatable. It's what we expect now. That's where science came from. But now, we just, and and so science is a great tool for for digging at those things. But you have to understand, all scientific evidence is always interpreted through a philosophical system. Now, we've talked about this a lot. As a matter of fact, I could go on about this all day. And a lot of you are like, yes, Kevin, we know. Please don't do that. We know you could do this all day. The last series that we talked a lot about was... um, Making Sense of God, last year, uh, part 5 we'll deal with some of this if you want to look into that in more detail. But there's basically two philosophical systems. One is naturalism, which also leads to scientific materialism, but naturalism is saying that nature is all there is. So any answer or anything we're looking for or any evidence could only point to nature and there can be nothing outside of nature. So naturalism says there's there's matter and energy and there's only things that um, that we can see, that we can sense with our five senses, that we can discover the five senses, nothing outside of nature. The other philosophical system I'll just call naturalism plus, that is a broader view that says, yes, we always start with natural explanations But, with the five senses, we get that. But if the explanations that we come up with within a naturalistic system are totally unprovable, they cannot be duplicated in a laboratory, that there's no real hard evidence for those things, and they don't seem to make sense, then we will have a broader view to say, maybe there is a cause beyond nature that's making this happen. That's naturalism. Plus so most people on the naturalism plus side would call that plus an intelligent creator God in the universe, so those are the competing systems, and you just have to know that um, that that 's happening. The divide is not between science and faith. the divide is between the two systems with through which you view. Scientific evidence. And uh, what we're saying is the theory that there's a God who made the universe fits the scientific evidence better than the theory that there is no God that made our universe. We're not running from science, we're saying science is on our side if we view things just a little bit broader to know that if nothing, if we cannot produce it or have any hard evidence, then maybe we have a little broader view to say maybe something else beyond nature is possible. That's where that's going. Now, so then the big question is, whoa, whoa, Kevin, what you type? why don't you learn that in school? Well, you don't learn that in school anymore because in our public schools, for example, we can't talk about God. So that's why you don't learn that. You learn a purely naturalistic explanation because to go to beyond that, now you're talking about God and nobody wants to talk about God. In the schools. Well, now, what about higher education? Well, in higher education, you have some of that same thing, but you also have to know that there is a war going on between scientists in higher education regarding the philosophy that they use to interpret scientific evidence. So put that in a nutshell. There is a war going on that is keeping people who believe in naturalism plus outside the mainstream of disciplines. And this happens all the time. You can Google that if you want. There's been documentaries on it and everything else. You just, you just gotta know that's a, a reality. As a matter of fact, uh, speaking to that issue, that in the sciences and the hard in the sciences um, in universities that there's this this backlash, this pushing away of people that have a different understanding of that, and uh, and they're being blackballed and all that. Here's a here's a quote from one of the world's leading physicists. His name is David Berlinski. He is not a Christian. Just hear what this guy says. He is not a Christian. This is not Kevin talking. This is a world leading physicist, David Berlinsky. This is him talking. He's not a believer. Here's what he says Has anyone provided a proof of God's inexistence? Not even close. Has quantum cosmology explained the emergence of the universe or why it's here? Not even close. Have the sciences explained why our universe seems to be fine tuned to allow for the existence of life? Not even close. Are physicists and biologists willing to believe in anything so long as it is not religious thought? Close enough. Has rationalism and moral thought provided us with an understanding of what is good, what is right, and what is moral? Not close enough. Has secularism in the terrible 20th century been a force for good? Not even close to being close. Is there a narrow and oppressive orthodoxy of thought and opinion within the sciences? Close enough. Does anything in the sciences or in their philosophy justify the claim that religious belief is irrational? Not even in the ballpark. Is scientific atheism a frivolous exercise in intellectual contempt? Dead on. That's David Berlinski, not even a believer, just a world-leading physicist telling you what he sees. Don't buy it. What the world is saying that there is this incompatibility between faith and science. Don't buy it. Do not buy it. By default, only one philosophy is presented in most schools. Only one way to interpret scientific evidence. But what we're saying is naturalism and evolution does not best interpret the scientific evidence that we see all around us in the world. For example, naturalism and the evolution that that it encompasses does not answer the three most basic questions. First of all, where did the universe come from? There's no answer to that in naturalism. Secondly, how did life arise from non-living matter? We cannot do this. We cannot reproduce it. We can't make this happen. There's no answer for that. And then third, how did the simple, become complex. This, the whole point of evolution is that the simple became complex. But the more we learn in science, for example, about the human genome, the more we learn about DNA, the more we realize that this is impossible. Because everything we are in the most complex organisms, say human beings, All that is in DNA genetic information that's been passed to us. Lesser organisms are amazingly way more complex than we thought, but are far less complex than we are. If there's an evolutionary trail, where does all the extra information, the intelligence, the design, the the data, the, the information? come in. That can't just come from nowhere. That is passed on through DNA. It's not present. How does it get there? That's the, Evolution has no way. Well, I can go on and on, but I'm just saying the three basic questions are not answered by a naturalistic philosophy in its interpretation of unscientific evidence. So let's just start at the beginning. Genesis 1. One. As a matter of fact, let's just start with the first three words, in the beginning. In the beginning. Now that may not sound so profound to you, but in the beginning, those three words are huge because those three words make a truth claim that there was a beginning. Because there's a lot, and that contradicts a lot of other thought, both in the scientific world and the religious world. For example, in the 1950s, you know, the big thing back then was the steady state theory of the universe. I remember, you know, later in life being taught that. The steady state of the universe, but there's no beginning is what that meant. Or in Eastern religions... Time is seen as cyclical and we just keep going around and around and around. But with these three words, in the beginning, there's this claim that there was a beginning and time is necessarily linear. There's a beginning and time is linear and so that, that, just that truth brings implications to our mind, meaning all of a sudden with linear time, that means that there's a direction, that there's a meaning, that there's a purpose, that, that history is heading somewhere. And all those things, those are implications, and all those things are true. But we find out all that stuff just from the first three words. Beginning is described by Genesis already gives us that hint, purpose, meaning, life, direction. And then it moves on from there. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Heavens is just an ancient way, and they had multiple heavens, meaning the stratosphere and all this stuff. That's just a way of saying heavens is encompassing of everything above earth. Everything else. This is the way in days of old when they didn't have the vocabulary we had of saying the universe. God created the universe. God created it. Where'd everything come from? From God. And then everybody asks, well, okay, if God created everything, who created God? How many have heard that? You know, if God created, well, then who created God? And of course, we say, we say, well, God by his very definition, is eternal and uncreated. Of course, when you say that to somebody, what do they say? Oh, well, that's convenient. Oh, God's just, that's your answer? He's just uncreated, he's just eternal? Whoa, 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 back it up. Because people who deny the existence of God also have the eternal and uncreated. Because they would say, oh, matter, energy, is eternal and uncreated. So we're both starting from the same point. It's just that from scripture, we have a worldview that says the eternal and uncreated one is an intelligent designer, which makes everything else we see make sense. Otherwise, the eternal and uncreated is still there. It's energy and matter, but everything we see now makes zero sense you see what I'm saying? Genesis for the head. Are you with me? Yes. All right, stay with me. It's not bad. All right, let me get through this. So we're saying, hey, God made the galaxies. He made the planets, the, the black holes. He made the supernovas, everything that we have, the earth, rainforest. It, it was God who, who made the sound of a pounding surf. It's God who made the smell of the coming rain. And I don't know if you caught it this time with all this rain, but you know what I mean? In the summer, the rain's coming, you could just smell it in the air. It's God that created all that and created us. And he's intelligent and wise and good. And it all makes logical sense this way. We are not, God is not the result of our imagination. We are the result of God's imagination. That's what he's telling us. And then the point is, Genesis 1, it's not really written so much to provide a bunch of evidence for a maker. Rather, the point of Genesis, and that's, I mean, it's there and we can use it that way. I'm not complaining. But Genesis 1 is written so that we can meet our maker so we can know our maker so we can understand something about our maker and that's what I want to talk about next and so now although there's a lot like I say I could talk all day about the science stuff and I love doing that but I've done that before now I just want to clear the, the air a little bit and now let's hear the entire chapter of Genesis 1. So buckle up, grab your Bibles, if you have them, or your device, or follow on the screen. It's the whole chapter, bear with me. And why the whole chapter? Because sometimes I'll just pick and choose, because I think we don't hear this enough in our world today. Genesis 1, beginning in verse 1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was formless and void, and darkness was over the surface of the deep. And the spirit of God was moving over the surface of the waters. Then God said, let there be light. And there was light. God saw that the light was good. And God separated the light from the darkness. God called the light day and the darkness he called night. And there was evening and there was morning day one day. Then God said, let there be an expanse in the midst of the waters and let it separate the waters from the waters. And God made the expanse and separated the waters which were below the expanse from the waters which were above the expanse, and it was so. And God called the expanse heaven, and there was evening and there was morning a second day. Then God said, let the waters below the heavens be gathered into one place and let the dry land appear, and it was so. And God called the dry land earth, and the gathering of the waters he called seas, and God saw that it was good. Then God said, let the earth sprout vegetation, plants yielding seed, and fruit trees on the earth bearing fruit after their kind with seed in them, and it was so. And the earth brought forth vegetation, plants yielding seed after their kind, and trees bearing fruit with seed in them after their kind, and God saw that it was good. And there was evening, and there was morning, a third day. Then God said, let there be lights in the expanse of the heavens to separate the day from the night. And let them be for signs and for seasons and for days and years. And let them be for lights in the expanse of the heavens to give light on the earth. And it was so. And God made the two great lights, the greater light to govern the day and the lesser light to govern the night. He made the stars also. And God placed them in the expanse of the heavens to give light on the earth and to govern the day and the night and to separate the light from the darkness. And God saw that it was good. And there was evening and there was morning, a fourth day. Then God said, "'Let the waters teem with swarms of living creatures and let birds fly above the earth in the open expanse of the heavens.' And God created the great sea monsters and every living creature that moves with which the waters swarmed after their kind and every winged bird after its kind. And God saw that it was good. And God blessed them, saying, "'Be fruitful and multiply and fill the waters and the seeds,' In the seas and let the birds multiply on the earth. And there was evening and there was morning a fifth day. Then God said, let the earth bring forth living creatures after their kind, cattle and creeping things and beasts of the earth after their kind. And it was so. And God made the beasts of the earth after their kind and the cattle after their kind and everything that creeps on the ground after its kind. And God saw that it was good. And then there's kind of a break in the rhythm and it continues. Then God said, let us make man in our image according to our likeness and let them rule over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the sky and over the cattle and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. And God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him male and female. He created them And God blessed them and God said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and rule over the fish of the sea and the birds of the sky and over every living thing that moves on the earth. And then God said, behold, I have given you every plant yielding seed that is on the surface of all the earth and every tree which has fruit yielding seed. It shall be food for you and to every beast of the earth and to every bird of the sky, and to everything that moves on the earth which has life, I have given every green plant for food. And it was so. And God saw all that he had made, and behold, it was very good. And there was evening, and there was morning, the sixth day. See, what I want us to see a little bit more, although I love talking about the head part, is the heart part because here we get to find out things about god and about the way he made us and and what went wrong and and even hints to how that will be fixed and you know it's interesting because people in our world all the time say well if there's a god i think god would be like this or even people who believe in god or even christians say well i think god is like and then fill in the blank God speaks for himself. God is not who we say he is. God has revealed himself to us. God wants us, invites us to know him, but God can speak. And it's amazing to me because here at Genesis 1 is asserting that there's a God who created, brought the universe into existence and Many times we'll hear people talk about, they'll refer to God, even some organizations do this, like as the great architect or the, the ultimate maker or uh, the ultimate cause or the ultimate being. And, and, and some of those people might even be interested in evidence for God, but they don't really want to know God. They stop there. And if there is a God, who created the universe, and I'm saying that there is, well, it would only make sense that we would want to know him. Know him, that we would know him. And, and stop with kind of the fuzzy notions about God and stop acting like we can't know him. God is big enough to communicate himself to us, to reveal himself to us. We should want to know all about him. And, and what do we know from Genesis 1? Well, we know that he's personal that he is a being that that wants to to connect with us he speaks he's knowable he's revealed himself he's brought light into the world we not only know he's personal we know he's powerful he creates out of nothing uh, there's kind of an interplay on words in Genesis one there's one Hebrew word uh, create, bara create which is normally in Translated create. There's another similar word, different Hebrew word, named made. Well, made is just fashioning stuff out of what's already there. Create is making something new out of nothing. Only God creates in that way. He's powerful. Not only is he personal, he's powerful, he's good. He creates over and over and declares and it was good and it was good and it was good and it was good and it was very good. He, his creation is good. He brings order out of chaos. I mentioned before this is the very foundation of scientific thought. Order out of chaos. We can predict what's going to happen next in the natural world because God made it that way. Um, And then God provides for us. Notice it's not just... He created these lights. It's from our perspective as a provision to us. He made light for us so that we can determine days and seasons and years, a greater light and a lesser light that we can know morning and evening. All this is written from our perspective as a provision to us. And then he talks about not the plants and then not just the plants, but seed bearing plants who will produce after their kinds, this A whole basis for agriculture, that human Human beings would do. This is a provision for us. And then when he talks about, you know, you have the beasts and then the livestock and then the creeping thing. But this whole idea of livestock is animals that we use for us that we could eat. You know, that's, and I know some that's becoming controversial today, but that's what we celebrate at Beast Feasts. We eat meat, as Wyatt was saying. We love that. This is all a provision, it's telling us who God is is we're created in God's image that's what should stick out to us the most wow here's God introducing himself to the universe specifically to us and then to find out we are created in his image and what does that mean we bear his mark it reminds us that God's not just a, a force in the universe like star wars would say it's saying that he's personal that he's real, that we can have a relationship. We carry his mark. He shows us the preciousness of human life. A little later in Genesis chapter 9, it says this, Whoever sheds man's blood, by man his blood shall be shed, for in the image of God he made man. What, what? Right early in Genesis says, hey, you have all this stuff. Do not take a human life. Human life is precious because we are made in God's image. It's amazing how just that has become controversial, that we are higher than the animals. And it's because of evolutionary thought. God's saying, there are some people in our country today that would say saving the life of a healthy animal would be a priority of saving the life of a non-healthy human being. It's, and we see that in our very laws. Mistreating, for mistreating animals, we can spend years in jail. For mistreating an unborn human fetus, there's no penalty. You just have to know that it's God that informs us that as we learn more about God, we learn more about the world around us. It puts things in the correct perspective like they weren't in the right perspective before. It's God that communicates us to us the value of his creation and the value of us. And then amazingly, we're created in his image. And then he says we are set to rule. Which gives us even more... We have dignity. We're created in the image of God. But then he sets us up to rule, to subdue the earth. By the way, I'm not saying mistreating animals is okay. I'm saying mistreating animals is not... That's ruling poorly. We rule over the earth. And then that not only gives us dignity, it gives us responsibility. All of a sudden, we've got a job. And with responsibility comes accountability. We rule. We have dignity. We have a job. We're accountable. All that gives us even more dignity as human beings. But as we soon learned, we became sinful. And that's where things got sideways, messed up it used to be human beings created in God's image if you wanted to know what God was like you would look at a human being to to understand a little bit more about God we have marred God's image through our sin all of us have it started at the fall we'll be talking about that but well then now who if we want to see God where do we look In the one who is not marred by sin, Jesus Christ. As a matter of fact, in in the first chapter of Colossians, it says, He, Jesus, is the image of the invisible God. And then Genesis 1, it allows us to see God's amazing love for us, especially in light of Genesis 2 and 3. Because all of a sudden, it's here's God who knows everything, who before the very first creation has determined that he would create human beings in his image. But yet God knows in his image that part of that gift is that we would have the ability to relate to God freely. Of course, with that ability comes the necessary also ability to reject that relationship. And then God also knows about the fall. And not just about the fall of all human beings, but he also knows the cost of redeeming us, the cost of redemption, the sacrifice that would take. He knows all that, and yet God chooses to create the universe and us and when you see it in the light of its totality we realize that it's showing it's declaring it's shouting out God's love for us that's how he values us and then when we look at all that just in a once reading of Genesis 1 we're kind of left with some practical implications That if there is a God who created us, a personal God, a knowable God who's revealed Himself, then we should want to know Him. We should want to relate to Him. We should want to have a relationship with Him. We should seek Him. We should follow Him. If there's a a personal knowable God... That's revealed himself and invited us into relationship, we should take him up on his offer. It's the only logical thing to do. And the only thing that keeps us from doing that is our sin and our rebellion against him that we don't want to feel like we have a boss. See, God creating us is not just a a theoretical truth. It should actually make a difference in how we see the world, how we see God, how we see us, how we see relationships. It impacts all of that. It should show up in our life. Just knowing God is a personal, knowable creator. Just that, the implication is that that should, that knowledge should cause us to want to know Him, and knowing Him should show up in our lives. It should change us. We should be transformed, it should impact how we live. We're just getting started in Genesis. I want you to come back next week. We're going to talk about Genesis 2. After that, Genesis 3, we're going to find out about God, about us, about our relationships, all this stuff. It's going to be way more practical than you ever thought. Just learning about the beginning. Let's stand together, and then we're going to pray. I want to remind you uh, that next Sunday, we are planning on baptism, Lord willing, one way or the other. So if the weather's good, it's the same thing. We always reserve the next week. We've never been rained out before. This is the first time we've ever been rained out. By the way, can I throw in a caveat here? If you're kind of feeling a twinge of guilt, not from me, by the way, hey, but if you're feeling a twinge of guilt, like, you know, I should have signed up for baptism and I didn't, and all of a sudden this is a first baptism in like, I don't know, 15 years we've been rained out. Maybe you should own that. You know, maybe God is telling you something. I gonna give you one more week to square this away. You know, I don't, I'm not, I'm not saying that. I'm just saying, you know, so maybe think about that. There's still time to jump in. As a matter of fact, if that's you, you could just stop by room one. We'll hook you up and make sure that that happens for you. But uh, we're going to celebrate baptism next week. We want, by the way, it's a celebration. It's a public celebration. It shouldn't be a celebration for a third of our church or a tenth of our church. It should be a celebration of our whole church family. So, you know, if if you're pretty free Sunday afternoon, you need to be out there. You know, none of this. Hey, well, you know, I usually go eat a sandwich. Yeah, get out there. Don't give me your routine. You know, if you got something super important, I get it. But hey, we need to be out there as a church family having a great time. I'm not praying, am I? Let's pray. All right. (laughs) Lord, we thank you for the day. Lord, thanks for loving us. Thank you for introducing yourself to us through the first chapters of the first book of your word, the beginning. God, we thank you for that and the implications that brings to our life. And then what we're going to find more and more of is just how it makes sense of everything we experience in life. Lord, thank you for giving us this information Lord, thank you for loving us like you do. And thank you for the greatest expression of that love, your son, Jesus Christ, what he's done for us, that great cost that you hint to even in these chapters. Thank you, Lord. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.